It's the True Penny Show with your host James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today, as we are wont to do every once in a while, is to return to the good people of Glate for some Japanese lucha. Um, King's Road style crossover and to discuss two cards with me today, as we usually do, is Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. How are you today? Thank you, sir. Doing okay. Doing okay. Here to talk about some more Gleet, two fun shows. Well, this should be this should be good. Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, we were in our favorite building, Umeda Sky Building, Stellar Hall, and it was pretty packed, 241. For Burn Your Heart, number 60, Glate G Pro Wrestling, version 64, Burn Your Heart, which has got the classic Japanese-English t-shirt for this tour, which says, Don't Give Up, Burn Your Heart. Now, Japan Glish does offer up some wonderful things, <laughs> but that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> If you're setting fire to your heart, or you've got a strong indigestion, you're probably going to give up fairly quickly. But there we go. You know, one should not make fun of people who perhaps don't have the best grammar in English. I know it shouldn't, but it, 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 it's concerning. Anyway, this is, um, this is available free on charge on YouTube, as all of these things are. And it opened with a fun little tag match. Um, Some Watanabe and you, Susumu. Having a bit of a run these days, they went up against Fire Katsumi and Takanori Itu of Yan's family. It lasted nine minutes and ten seconds with Susumu and Watanabe on the winning end. Um, what a fun this match. I enjoyed it. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah, this was fun. This was this was again Lee never misses with these openers. Keep them keep them not overly long. Uh but but you know, some good excitement in there and uh yeah, this ended on a fun note because I think uh, was it you that caught fire with something off the off the ropes or something to that effect. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was good. It actually felt like the match ultimately just kind of came down to a one on one between those two. So that was fun. Hopefully, we get to see those those fellas clash in a in a in a, in a nice length one on one down the line because that's how I kind of felt towards them. Yeah, yeah. I I think as well, you know. There were some precursors in this one because there was an awful lot of um, um, submission holes in it as well, and it kind of like telling the story that Yan's family, though the though Ito is a shooter, the others are not, <laughs> which is an interesting foreshadowing for what would happen in the main event. Um, but yeah, no, this was full. This was good. Um, next, we went to a rare singles match for Ichi Kawakami of Bulk Orchestra. And he won <laughs> against Keiichi Sato of Black Generation International. This was a fun match. I honestly did not see Sato beating Kawakami anytime soon. But even then, he's had some slip-ups in the last 12 months. He might have banana peeled himself out of this one and all. Uh, but it was fun. Kawakami is a good entertainment as a member of a faction. He's a great faction wrestler. And Sato is going to be amazing. He's got everything. He's got all that presence. Can work heel, can wait baby face. He's, he's everything you want in a modern wrestler. You know, tall, rangy, got some skills. He's a good mat wrestler. Everything you want in a utility player. He's going to be very employed for the rest of his career, I think. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? 
Oh, same man. Them, them, them guys are uh, usual coming out of uh, VGI, man. He's uh, just good. He's just good in Kawakami, like you said. Didn't expect what we got, but uh, under ten minutes got the job done with, with the surprise victory. And uh, yeah, that was that was fun. They might uh, be able to deliver some significant if they had been given more time. But yeah. <laughs> I think so as well, but it, we are talking house match, house show matches here, aren't we? So it's not as yeah, not as vital for everybody, I suppose. Though you know, this was a big match. We what we didn't talk about was, of course, big preference conference at the beginning of the show was Suzuki San presented the challenger and champion T Hawk and Masato Kimino, uh, and some dead serious talk on that particular uh, this particular match, and we, that's kind of reflective in the main event, but we'll get to that in a second. So next we can move on to L. Linderman versus J.D. Lee. J.D. Lee has been on loan from Korea, I think. Yeah, it's Korea, isn't it? Um, and he had a really impressive performance here, the young man, especially with someone like L. Linderman, who is, you know, senior member of the roster, former uh, G-Rex champion, and kind of, kind of supposed to be a showcase for him, really. But J.D. Lee put his chops in. This was really, really good in a, in a figurative way, not in a necessarily in an actual way. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah, same impressive. You know, and if you go have a showcase, have to get somebody that can show off the guys he's with while also remaining strong. And then kudos to Lee for all this time because it's been a minute. It's been quite a minute since he's been champion, but he hasn't looked like he's fallen off in any form or fashion. He's kept himself in some uh kept himself in the heat of the action with all the the, the faction uh ness of it all going on um very much has continued to rack up wins you know um and did the same here as you would expect from the former stud champion that, that he was so and like you said good showing for lee but uh lenderman is is, is that that grizzled vet that's that's battle tested at this point so you know that was a steep mountain to climb for sure for sure uh, next up, we had Black Generation International going up against Bulk Orchestra. Two teams known for their crispness and their crisp teamwork, and Black Generation International kind of swinging on all cylinders here with Katoru Suzuki, Keita Ishida, and Hartley Jackson. Going up against Chek Shibitani, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Quiet Storm. 13 minutes and 14 seconds it lasted, but it was a non-stop kind of action-orientated match. Ishida, when he's on top form, is the best heel in wrestling. I, just the way he looks and the way he carries himself, he's just so awesome. And this was another example of that, really. Um, Hartley Jackson, just absolutely stunning as a big heavyweight. And Katoro Suzuki is just, he, he is the kind of person Keiichi Sito should be looking up to as a journeyman wrestler who can slot himself into any situation. And this was a really great performance for them. That's not knocking Bulk Orchestra, who were also absolutely awesome. But 30 minutes and 14 seconds, this was a great match. And just more back and forth, house show, tomfoolery between the two biggest factions in the company at the moment, anyway. What's your no, thoughts on this? Wouldn't suggest that you blinked on this one. Um, yeah, this was this was this was fun. This was high action packed. And uh, I mean, just really everything you would expect from these two factions. Like I said, they, you know, specifically these two have just such stacked decks that they could really throw any combination together, whether it be double or triple, and you're going to get something 
something great. Uh, but I think to your point specifically, Jackson, Yoshida, and, and Suzuki are, you know, I think, you know, BGI's trifecta. Um, and this this may be it for uh, orchestra, but, you know, we've seen so many different variations and they may still very well be working out. Uh, I think for us, though, if you keep uh, comedy out, that'll, <laughs> that'll, that'll probably leave, leave a lot more room for a, a more solid three, which they, they got here. I think this is a great trio. But again, like I always say, if Jackson's in that match, it's going to be a long night. And uh, again, it kind of came down to him ultimately who uh, ended up sitting on the deal for the squad. So, you know, these, these, you know this kind of like a fight fail situation with these two. They go always go back and forth. I don't know what the tally is on the win loss column, but uh, it's always a great time uh, for the viewer. So, uh, next up, we had kind of a, a palate cleanser, if you will. Um, <laughs> Kotlikans, Shima, Kazayashi, Minoru Tanaki tagged up with Seichi Ikimoto, you know, the shooter, the badass shooter, and for reasons best known to someone, Tommy Akahoma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they defeated Issei on Iskaya Junji. Jun Toncho, Titsu Yuzuchi, and Yu Iska in 12 minutes and 22 seconds. So it, it is like Kaz Hayashi, who doesn't normally book himself into these situations, got a pinfall. I think it was over, was it Izuchi? I can't remember who he pinned. But yeah, now it'd be Onitsuka. So he'd be, he beats Onitsuka, who's a member of Yan's family, who's tagging with a member of uh, who has been hanging out, if not a member of Strong Hearts with the younger guys on the roster losing to a bunch of veterans, not one of which is under 40. So I don't want anyone on here. <laughs> I guess we can just unplug brain and enjoy. Especially Sichi Ikimoto going for a Kakeshi headbutt as they all landed one on John Tuncho. Um Your thoughts, sir? <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, like you, you kicked it off with the perfect thing for um, definitely a palate cleanser. Uh, you know, I was thinking about doing this match like if a random person wanted to start watching Gleed and asked yeah, you if a random match was good and we looked at it and looked at each other and went, Well, Honda was in it. <laughs> so, you know, you 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 know, I, when we say great, that may vary. Um But yeah, for me I think I kinda get I mean, specifically to your point about the the, the narrative of, of uh, the young man, the kind of going back and forth between everything. I think I just kind of settled down and was like, in these situations, I'm gonna just always root for cold cans. Because <laughs> uh, it's just, I mean, you know, to me, you know, uh, Hayashi and, and, and Tanaka are just two of the best, and then you put Seema with him. That's a, you know, hell of a trio. But yeah, specifically, Minoru and, and, and Kaz Hayashi be going off in these matches. It'd be great to see because, like, you know, like you said, they are the vets. But they are not those vets that that be looking, you know, slow behind the guys, and a lot of times they be looking better in some instances. So, um, you know, of course they ended up getting the win here. Uh, and uh, yeah, like you said, it was it was kind of you know, like you said, to kind of kind of small you over into what was what was to come for the main event. And boy, what a main event we had. Uh, the main event for this match was T-Hawk defending his G-Rich Championship against Masato Kamino, and in 18 minutes and 50 seconds, he did so. Now, we've talked an awful lot about T-Hawk's title reign and the certain level of darkness that is creeping in at, towards, well, we don't know if it's the end of his reign, but, you know, we're in kind of the middle of his reign, I guess. We're five defences in, and there's a level of darkness that T-Hawk's reign has that... To be honest, even Ishida didn't have as a heel, 
Um, he does not like Camino. Camino does not like him. And he went after Camino's knee. And the story of this match was T-Hawk trying to destroy Camino's knee, not just to win the match, but to end his career. Which is, you know, there was, there was Linderman was cornering T-Hawk and there were even moments where he was clearly uncomfortable with what was going on. Which is a brilliant story to tell if there is a payoff for it, but I don't know what the payoff is. <laughs> so that's the intriguing thing that makes me keep watching this particular title run. We were looking for an edge, and boy, have we found it in this particular title run. It's, it's growing into something quite special. Um, even you know, even a month ago, we were talking about this. It's not really kind of gearing up with what Linderman did, or even what Ishida did, even though he didn't have very long. You know, it, it, it's. It, and now we're kind of hooked on this story of T-Hawk who's kind of tapping into things he shouldn't be playing with for a top-notch babyface that T-Hawk has always been in late. And Camino's not a bad guy. Jan's family aren't a heel unit, really. Um, so it's it kind of like puts an edge on this match that's nicely dark. Um, but the actual match itself was blisteringly good. Camino was outstanding in it. Um, and has really built him up as a main stage player for Glate if they want to use him again. Um, and the match ended with uh, Takenori Ito throwing in the towel for Camino once T-Hawk got a leg bar in nice and tight, bang in the middle of the ring, and Camino could not escape. Ito threw in the towel, so it was kind of an inconclusive ending. Camino's saved for another day. What do you think of this, Marcus? Because there was a lot going on here. Yeah, this was this was really good. This was um, you know, it, it, watching T Hawk's uh, reign has been interesting. I think for both of us as we kind of have gone back and forth from how we felt uh, at times. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing because it gives you, you know, not necessarily a straight linear line, and it kind of kind of goes up and down. Um, to your point about him being a baby face of that, maybe perhaps that's the overall point uh, with it, you know, because we saw him, you know, to me this this entire match was a, a war of attrition. Um, but it was a different war because he had, to me, T.R. went through a war with, and I uh, apologize for missing a big man's name, but that mountain of a man that he very much was going to lose to mm-hmm. um, had he not kind of, you know, saved himself out of it. Like I said, he won that match, but to me, he escaped on uh, that situation. I think coming off of the, the defense like that, it kind of kind of ticked up. Like, you know, at this point, this ain't about me necessarily being a good guy. This is about me being a you know, how I retain and keep this title that don't necessarily have anything to do with, you know, being a good guy that I've always been or been perceived as. So maybe here, like like you said, to your point, this is him kind of turning darker because this was, to me, another war of attrition, but for Camino with the leg of it all because it was, like you said, it was uncomfortable to watch at times. But again, you know, as a champion, it, it would be more beneficial for him to dictate the pace, set it, and then dictate the pace for the rest of the match, which he very much did. And Camino very much fought back. I think my favorite part when they just got to the middle of the ring, stood there, and just traded uh, what I like to call chest death um, <laughs> back and forth. It was uh, it was something to see. And, and, and had this been a UWF match, Camino might have knocked him out. Um, we're catching him at the neck, but um, yeah, this was this was a good story telling that 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 story of of you know Camino not wanting to give up and perhaps even wanting to do it even more so than for himself for the family and the family like look man we want you to win but we want you to you know get yourself uh, murked in the process and and T Hug was very much on that mission to, to 
take his leg off. So yeah, it was it was cool to see. We don't get, we don't get a lot of thrown in towels. We've seen that story told uh, in in certain instances. I think you know for us, the last one that that really stuck out to me was the you know the Omega Okada match. Mm-hmm. I think it was what Kenny wanted to throw in the towel. Yeah. Uh, I mean Cody wanted to throw in the towel and the whole thing with the Bucks. Yeah, so we don't get yeah. too many of them, yeah. and you kind of have to tell that story the way it matters, and I think it really matters here because Jan's family really has been, you know, come together as a very cohesive unit and really put that meaning in the word family, and they really, you know, went to bat for Camino here because before they threw in that towel, I mean, it was looked like they sprayed the form by icy hot on his knee and all that. So um, it was cool to see, and, and to your point about T-Hawk, we've kind of seen that story too about how, you know, that, that old saying it's a lot harder, you know, staying atop the mountain than it is getting there. And I think, you know, he's kind of feeling that pressure. And he's like, look, I'm trying to be a long champion, you know, but whether it's good or bad is of no concern at this point. So we'll see. But it was funny because it seemed like they had like a huge celebration at the end of the match. Uh, or should I say post-match? Yeah. Um, they were announcing Kazma Sakamoto's 20th anniversary show, which will take place on Christmas Eve. Hall uh, in a match where he will take on Takemichinoka, the guy who trained him, and Tatsumi Fujinami, uh, the, the second ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling, the living legend, the guy who still wrestles in his 60s pretty damn well. <laughs> so that'll be interesting to see. Um, finishing off the match, Suji, Suji Ishikawa was the, from All Japan Pro Wrestling, was the T-Hawk challenger you were thinking of. Um, yeah, I, I went I went and looked up Sakamoto's career because it's hard to believe he doesn't look that old, but he's actually 41. Um, and he spent his early career in Kaintai Dojo and then moved on to Wrestle One. Um, and interestingly, he is the only member of the great roster who's had an extended run in WWE and appeared on a TNA pay-per-view as well. So... But you might not have noticed him <laughs> because he uh, his run in WWE was in the FCW era, but it wasn't as well known. He was there just as NXT started. And somewhat ignominiously, he lost every match he had in WWE except one. And despite losing every match he had except one, at one point... He was invited. He was presented as the number one contender to the NXT Championship, <laughs> which will tell you how much people pay attention in NXT. Wow. Uh, but yeah, he was um, Lord Tensai's um, operative, or oh, Matt Bloom, who now runs the uh, the um, uh, performance center. When he was Lord Tensai, after being Prince Albert, and then being um, what was he in Japan? Giant Bernard in Japan, yeah. Um, so Sakamoto came across as you know he he was a bit of a, a manager kind of character and had a run in WWE. Came back and started working for Wrestle One, hence why he ended up on that um, pay per view they did in Japan. Can't remember exactly who he wrestled on that show, but yeah, he was on that show as well. So there you go. He's had quite the career, and he's having his 20th anniversary on Christmas Eve. It's good for him. It should be a fun night out, I think. That's really cool. It, it is really cool. Hence the reason why 
Bork Orchestra and um, everybody was in the ring together having a fun time. <laughs> and uh, Suzuki-san doing his um, Bork Orchestra um, as well. So, yeah, it was kind of like a, a break from the norm. Interesting cards coming up as well. In March, they're running another um, Black Generation International show. Um, and it's, I think it's the, there's... there's um, sure there's a black generation international t-shirt that says pain is the new black i like that a lot that's really cool um but let's move on to uh the next show which was version 65 we have version 63 is yet to go up i don't think oh, we've watched version 63 yeah i think we've watched version 63 there was a show out today yeah that was version 66 which is in yokama kanagawa japan well that was on friday which is not up on youtube yet um, we will bring that to you because there is another show booked soon, I think, for next week, which will be version six, which is their big show. But they're already moving on to like promoting version seven, which is the big end of year Tokyo City Hall show, which will be T-Hawk versus Tamora for the G-Rex Championship. Have you any thoughts on that match, Marcus, before we go any further? Sorry, cut off. What was the match? The match will be T Hawk versus Tayoto Tamura of um, Bulk Orchestra for the G Rex Championship at um, version 7. I'm looking forward to it again. Another test. Like, it's, it's, it's I mean, again, it shows the strength of, like I said, also, we've always known about Bulk Orchestra um, and, and, you know, Black Generation. But it's, it's funny, you, you run down that line of opponents. And maybe, like I said, again, it's not, not picking on him, but you take out Kawakami. Um, and it, it ain't really somebody you can line up that's not going to be a, a significant uh, contender for that championship. Um, so, I'm, you know, it's, it's really interesting, like I said, that, you know, Camarada will both that they don't have any qualms about who should be or who gets title shots or whatnot. They just kind of want, you know, a faction to have something so you know they sending everybody they can you know at, at all these challenges I'm, I'm looking you know it's, it's cool to see because a lot of times that's where you, you find dissension points but maybe that's just with americanized wrestling so yeah yeah you know so it, that's just really cool to see so um he he managed to beat uh shima tommy uh so it's, it's gonna be interesting to see uh what the next up and Bolt can do. For sure. And on our next card, Bolt Orchestra had another championship shot at goal. Kazuma Sakamoto and Quiet Storm would challenge Voodoo Murders, Jun Sato and Rei Sato in the main event. But let us talk about the undercard. We were in Fukuoka, Japan, Nishitsu Hall. Uh, 312 in attendance. Color counts Kaz Hayashi, Minoru Tanaka, and Yu Iska defeated Yan's family, Issei Onitsuka, Takanori Ito, and Yusuke Kadama, Yu Iska getting a big pin for a big, big submission victory in this match against Kadama, who's been on a little bit of a mini push as of late, 8 minutes 34 seconds. This was a fun match to watch, but it is because on the rise a little bit here. I'm liking this. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Kicking off with the cold cans again. Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, again, Ayashi and, and Monaco, man, it's, uh, 
It's one of those things. I think it was, it's funny because I think it was you that popped off the submission against Ito, right? Mm. So I'm, I'm looking at like him and it's funny watching him and, and, and uh, Tetsuya, they've really been popping off with the submissions uh, lately and, and kind of switching that style up and, and making themselves, you know, sudden, sudden uh, victory takers and, and instead of, you know, waiting for some other big moves. Using it, uh, you know, being being counter wrestlers going into submission, so that's really been cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's looking like Yon's family's about to start having some leg issues if this keeps up across the board. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a weakness of theirs, which is something that is being exploited by the baby faces at the moment. So we'll see what goes on. But like we said, Yon's family aren't really a heel team; they're just a bunch <laughs> of guys who have started a cult. Anywho, <laughs> Chuck Shimitani versus John Tonjo. Um, nine minutes and 36 seconds. Thoroughly entertaining match. But it's Chuck Shimitani and John Tonjo. What else could it be? Loads of back and forth. Nice little matchup uh, between two people. Kind of. Shimitani's further up the card, and you kind of expect him to win, but it, he gave Tonjo his due, and they're just so good, these two. Still not convinced by Tonjo's um, beard, uh, sorry, mustache, which is. Soup strainer levels of <laughs> horror, but um, mm-hmm. the actual match itself quite exceptional. Marcus, your thoughts? Oh, this was great. I love this. This one part of my maybe my match tonight. I was looking forward to the, uh, the ending, but uh, it, we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, this was great. Just two guys going back and forth, leaving it all, and then you know, using up all that good nine minutes and 36 seconds. Um, and I always root for, for my boy uh, June. Was putting in work, going at it. Shimatami is again every you know. This is, I know little guy. He's thick. He you know he's packed with muscle. And Tonsho was taking it to him and taking it to him. Looked like he like he was dictating the pace. But again, all it takes is three seconds, and Shimatami caught him, and he caught him good. I think he caught him for four seconds. I think actually. But uh, yeah, they they could definitely you know. Uh, head honcho, you listening? Run this one back, please. This was good. Absolutely, Ross. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, speaking nice. of surprising victories, Keiichi Sato and Katoru Suzuki of Black Generation International drop one to JD Lee and Tetsuya Izuchi. 11 minutes and four seconds. Izuchi's again on the rise, doing yeah. a lot more submission, not mm-hmm. quite so based in his um, pro wrestling style. Changing it up, and he takes one out on Sato and Katoru Suzuki. That's a big win. Yeah, another good, another good, uh, another good outing. Shout out to JD getting 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 more reps in, and you know, it's, it's you know, BGI always puts together something nice. But again, like I said, with, with you, Tetsuya's been, you know, not playing no games. I'm not, <laughs> the minute you think you got me, I get you, and we up out of here. Uh, caught him with the submission. He's looking good. He's looking good. I. I would imagine, and maybe this is calling it too early, but I would imagine either he he's gonna get multiple title shots, or he should be being crowned something uh, in the new year because he's just he's he's got a different level of momentum, and I always appreciate when wrestlers kind of in their game and switch the styles up that ultimately benefit them. So, like you said, him kind of leaning more into the submission style now, making himself almost a counter wrestler um, is is really good. Yes, for sure. Uh, it's it's a nice kind of way of developing his character as well and showing he's got more tools to his bat. So that's been a lot of fun to watch him develop. 
We had a Joshi match next. We all like a good Joshi match, and this was a good Joshi match with a really weird ending. <laughs> Yunagi Sayakai and Itsuki Aoki defeated Diamond Egoist AOI and Michiko in 10 minutes and 17 seconds when Sayakai defeated Aio, but seemingly on a two count, which the ref called as a three count. And then there was a big kind of promo off at the end, um, which Ao I think I think essentially asked for a singles match with Sayakai to prove herself, and Michiko was like, "Yeah, all right, and get on with it." Um, it was a bit weird. This it was good, a bit strange. Anything you would like to add to this? Because it's like I loved the match; it was really cool. Like Suki Aoki is all like her a lot. She's doing some cool stuff, um, and. But she's a as a full on freelance wrestler these days, and interestingly, Asakawa when she tags with other people can beat Diamond Egoist, and Sayakai when she tags with other people she can beat Diamond Egoist. When they tag together, no hope. What's that about? Things for you to unpack there, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been oddly enough because we've covered it. That's that's weirdly enough been the story. You know, it was Sayaka kind of being at the center of all of it because this is, you know, to, to kind of felt like her fight uh, that she very much put on her back and, and wanted to lead the charge with and, and, and kind of having a, you know, obviously because of the, the sheer concept of going against a faction, you kind of have to have people with you. But, you know, it's kind of felt like she's been a one man band out there at, at times just with the emotionality of it all. Um, so here, this was a good ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> um, to say the least, uh, and I, and I think that the key here, and I don't know how I never, as you were talking about it, it made me think like it, it's weird. Like you would you would think that would be a a kind of no brainer talking about divide and conquer or cause some type of dissension, but because of how just flawlessly slick Eagles came out as and have consistently been, you kind of never you you're not anticipating that potentially being some form of, you know, dissension, but it happened here. You know, they took themselves off the square, you know, knocked off their own momentum in the middle of the match, and it, it, it kind of was turning towards the end there the way it looked like it was going to go, the way that it went, just not necessarily the way that it went. And, uh, yeah, I think that might be the biggest takeaway here. You know, you know, he's been chomping at this redwood since, it began, you know, which is, is very much probably felt like an odyssey for her at this point. But yeah, it, 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 there may be some, you know, breakdown between Io and, and, and Michiko, and uh, it cost them here. Of course, they, they may be more pissed off at the ref than Unagi, but you know. I mean, Unagi you know, you know, does remind me of Deadpool in the sense of like Deadpool trying to be a good guy, but just doesn't really know how. And I think Nagi is kind of like that kind of part of the story arc. She wants to be the matriarch and the lead babyface of the company, but doesn't really have the tools to do that particular job. Mm. And then, and like when the pressure's off like this, she can do it. But when the pressure's on with Hosokawa and Hosokawa needs a leader, she can't. And I like that story. That's cool. A bit more serious than Deadpool. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's that kind of um, the story that I, I i kind of can get my teeth into and i think yeah. michiko is kind of like being the matriarch of diamond egoist and and leading by example but aoi aoi can't keep up apparently so which is interesting because she's been a killer ever since she turned up 
and quite yeah. clearly by her new championship belt that she was wearing is is very good at what she does. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, just look at the titles that she currently has. Uh, she is the queen of JTO. You know, she's the head of her home promotion just tap out. She's she's the star of a company, and then you know she comes to this company and things don't go her way. There's layers going on here, which I like. It's nice to have such something to get your teeth into, especially with the women's division. Yeah, it's good. When you describe it like that, you almost would think it would be a tit for tat in, in terms of leadership for Diamond Eagles. Cause like you said, Aoki's been a killer since she turned up to the point where like, I've kind of just been shaking my head at times when she's been in the ring and somebody's trying to stand up with her because it's a suicide mission. Um, but yeah, maybe it's a, it's a confidence thing. You know, we talked about the journey of Michigan uh, before the Diamond Eagles thing. It very much was a long kind of arduous back and forth of frustration. Uh, but, but she, you know, John Diamond Eagles and kind of got the, the sense of awareness and confidence that it always felt like she she had but couldn't, I guess, really bring to the surface until she did here. And, uh, yeah, it seemed like it's, it's clashing up against, the, you know, the wall of the faction right now. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, like you said, regardless to all of it, this the sheer conversation is pointing to great stories, you know, both in a group and individually with the women, which you you always love to see. For sure. sure. Janelle Kai, take that MLW Featherweight Championship and get your ass back to Japan. Your girls need you. <laughs> so, Summer Wanabe and Yu Susuma continue their winning ways by putting away Hartley Jackson and Keita Ishida. If there was a big win on this card, even though there was already one big win on this card, this was a surprisingly big win. Wanabe and Susumi have been going hell for leather in recent weeks. Um, and slowly working themselves their way up the tag team division. But this was a big one, big one to beat Ishida and Hartley Jackson. You know, uh, Jackson has been taking with Sato as of late, and they've had good results. But tagging with the boss, and they lose? Mm, intriguing. Even Hartley Jackson did shake Watanabe's hand, even if he did clothesline him afterwards. <laughs> he thought it was a good performance. He's not happy about losing, but... Yeah, intriguing. This is this this sets things up for later, but we'll explain that when it happens. What did you think of this one? Yeah, they. I mean, look, they broke the long night curse. Um, mm. you know, the, the winning matches when Hall is involved, you either got to keep him out of the ring or on his back, and it's hard to do both, specifically the, the latter, because he doesn't go down. Uh, and, and if he does, it's on one knee and it's back to you know back to the hellscape, if you will. So the fact that they, you know, came up with him like, look, I'm going to lock him in and you just jump on him. <laughs> and then if that doesn't work, I'm going to just lock the guy that interfered in and you jump on him again. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it worked, you know, and it, it called, calls Paul for the course. He shows appreciation and immediately victimizes you again. But um, that, that's, that's all it takes in a nutshell at times. Um but yeah, I, it, it's good, and this, you know, they, they have uh, looks like they they found a a winning formula. One instance of it, anyway. So um, it was good to see, like you said, that's the second big win uh, without without a, a head shaking uh, by us, by you know, ref's decision. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, uh, and then we had another palate cleanser, but this was a bit more of a serious palate cleanser. As Stronghearts, Junjay, L. Lindemann, and T Hawk went up against Hayato Tomorrow, Reichi Kawakami, and the returning Galino Del Mal, 
If 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 you haven't seen Galina Del Mal, you have to watch him wrestle. Because he's a six foot he looks like Scott Norton, but flies like Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> he's the love child of Godzilla and Mothra. <laughs> it's just the man's got a spring in his legs, let's say that. But he just he's just a big dude, wrestles lucha style. No, it's just big dude, and he throws himself around, and he's awesome. Why no one has picked him up yet, other than Glate, is mind-boggling. Like the things he can do in the ring, and I have a feeling we're not seeing all of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, but because it, you know, in, in the age of the of of the uh, giant giant high flies, if you will, I wonder if they see somebody like him and they just shake their head because they just absolutely don't know what to do with him. You know. I mean, that, there is a possibility. I, I do see a lot of guys in Mexico when I, I don't watch Lucha anywhere near as much as I used to. But I do see a lot of guys in Mexico and you, you're just like, well, that'll never fly in the States because they just they won't know what to do with him. They just, just wouldn't. <laughs> and it is, it is it's surprising to me sometimes. It is like, like I can see why a guy like um, Murder Clown does well in in TNA because in, because he's an adaptable character. He's really a deathmatch wrestler, and you can kind of plug a deathmatch wrestler into any situation. So he's just really good at brawling. Well, that's fine. That's that's a marketable thing you can put into Impact Wrestling. That's fine. Um, he's never going to win the world championship, but you know that's that's kind of where they are with that, and that's fine. But I mean, Demal's just like he's just on another level. I'm surprised no one in Japan has kind of like dragged him up. You know, there's there's a guy who would fly in in Noah. Yeah, he'd done so much with Doctor El Hijo de Locked Doctor Wagner Junior. Demal would slot straight in there. He'd be perfect for that. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned uh, like something like New Japan because if they went a year uh, and they didn't necessarily include Cobb, how do you think the big man would do in the G1? Um, I think you'd I think you'd make out like a big dog, to be honest with you. I think he would do really well. I think he would have he wouldn't you know, he'd come out with a winning record and and you can see great matches with him and people like Okada, because like Okada's kind of similar height and he would have great matches with Tanahashi. He could do it, I think. I think he would be an interesting get for them in the sense of he doesn't really fit into anything they've got and therefore you can present him as something different and he's a real deal lucha guy you know and but again it's because he does he does he's, he's part of like indie groups and stuff in mexico he's not um doesn't work for cmll so they're not going to use him essentially and you look at his career he he only wrestled 75 matches last year he's not a full-time worker which is amazing, because look at the chops he has for being a guy who's not a full-time worker. Mind you, it's cage match, so you don't necessarily pick up on every indie show he's done yeah. all over the towns of Mexico, because Mexico is a massive territory, and Mexican wrestling works differently in sense of, because like, you have like the you have CML on AAA and Crash, and then there's all sorts of promotions around the country who book either AAA guys or CMLL guys or Crash guys. So you get like this, there's maybe two or three promoters in each town running a different crew. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, you, you just don't necessarily see people. That's, it's, it's a bit strange. Mexico runs on a very different system to um, 
how wrestling runs anywhere else in the world in the sense of CMLL don't do house shows. They let other people run house shows so they don't have the expense of running house shows because they make enough money on a Friday and a Saturday night in Mexico City. They don't need to run anything else all week, which will tell you how much money they make in Friday and a Saturday night in Mexico City. You know, it's it's a slightly bizarre kind of setup, but they make money off of the wrestle. They they get paid a fee for they get paid a fee so like Atlantis Junior goes and wrestles in a southern territory in Mexico. They get paid a fee by that promoter in that town, and that's how they make money from it. But they don't have then they don't have the costs and the running um, the running expenses of keeping trucks on the road and rings on the road and making sure you source the lights and stuff, you know, all of that stuff, which is the stuff that actually costs money, someone else can take that risk and we will take a slice of your pie and you can have our big stars for that. that wow. I want, you know, I wonder, maybe because like, like you said, I don't necessarily like you uh, keep up with it, but it, it feels like maybe because they, they don't have to necessarily work as hard. It's not saying they don't because they got some of the most exciting performers and, and, and style there is, but maybe it's because like the, just the, Cultural wrestling is so intrinsically ingrained in Mexico, mm-hmm. and from a natural perspective, that that you know you almost uh, can naturally rely on your audience. Whereas over here, you kind of have to work so hard because the audience views themselves as so far ahead of what they're seeing. You almost have to, you know, to do a big and pleading show to to you know get them, uh, you know, into it because you know the, the audience. So already so overly stimulated with everything else that you almost have to um, put on an opera with pyros and a, and a uh, you know death match going on at the same time. So it's it's, uh, it's weird, but like here you described it, like it's almost like a completely different world. Oh yeah, I mean you can wrestle seven nights a week if you want to. That's that's fine. It's it's more than doable, but you don't have to to make a living. And it's also the way that it's changed a bit more now. They had much stiffer rings back in the day. Like the power bomb is banned in Mexico for good reason because it's it's health reasons. You will break your neck, and you don't see it very often because they only allow older wrestlers who know exactly what they're doing to do it because they don't want their talent breaking their necks. It's it, it, it's it's true. It's not so much now that they've seen modern American win rings and things are a little bit softer. But the advantage of the harder rings is people's knees didn't give out because they're running they're running on a stable surface. <laughs> and if you notice, all of the dives in Lucha Libre go to the outside of the ring where there are soft mats to land on. Which means that because your knees are less likely to give out and you're actually landing on a safer surface than a wrestling ring, you have much longer careers. And because it's more about characters and your introduction and the outfit you wear... You can you have guys in there. I mean, like Atlantis is celebrating his fiftieth anniversary this year or fortieth anniversary. He's in his sixties, still wrestling for CMLL at a high level. You know, sixty years old, still banging it in, having good matches, not terrible. He don't like put him in the main event or anything, but he'll do. He's, he's just done. He just did the tour for um, New Japan. To help celebrate that, and I think you'll have a big of a big splash at um, Fantastic Mania in February. But you know, it, it, that's the thing is like the the business is so different and so sustained, so much more sustainable. I think that's the issue. Is AAA do dabble in lots of violence? It's kind of been their calling card since the organization was founded. 
Um, and they tend, and fans of AAA like it, like fans of AEW like blood, and fans of WWE are kind of trained not to like blood. Um, AAA fans like a bit of violence, and CML fans like things a bit more in a traditional kind of Lucha Libre style. So there's options, you know, that's that's the thing. And Crash is kind of somewhere, Crash is kind of a bit more like a, from what I've seen of it, it's a bit more like an American TV show. So there's different things in different markets, and I'm guessing the local promoters will know exactly what they want on their shows, and We'll do it in the same way, if that makes sense. But yeah, the market in Mexico has just kind of developed into this. And it's always evolved and moved back and forth from one promotion to two promotions to three to two again over the last hundred years or so. It's a bit bizarre, really, how how Mexican wrestling has developed. You know, you look at the history of it. Sorry, I'm rattling on here. We're having a bit of a blue chat, which neither of us watch, but I have enough of, like, in my head, like, I... Like the history of Luch is insane to me because it is like it was one company for seven for sixty years, and yeah. then two wrestlers went on strike, and then a third wrestler went on strike, and they decided to form the UWA. <laughs> <laughs> and because what would happen was um, essentially people would wrestle for CMLL until they were kind of overexposed, and then they go wrestle for the independents. And the big independent promoter and these three wrestlers got together and founded UWA. And then it was two promotions for 20 years. And UWA made money hand over fist because they would get in Big Van Vader and they would get in North American stars and have huge matches. And then all of a sudden, within like the space of two years, it just everything went under. And AAA took their place. <laughs> and that's where you get to, the, to where you're settled now in this particular wrestling history. And it, yeah, it just fascinates me how they run business there. Not so much the wrestling, which I think yeah. the wrestling is cool. I'm more intrigued by the actual, I'm more intrigued by their backstage machinations and how they do their business than American promotions are. If you see what I mean. Just because like American promotions are very direct. You know, you've got to make a TV, weekly TV show. It's television. It's not wrestling per se. Even AAA, even AEW, which kind of, prides itself on its sporting background is it's a tv show there's nothing wrong with that you gotta make a living that's how you make a living but it's a tv show whereas in lucha libre yes it's a tv show but that's byproduct of it be it's a byproduct of it being a wrestling show first at a very specific wrestling show to a very specific audience kind of gone off the track there i apologize <laughs> no that was great that was a great history lesson for me i was definitely sitting in class at the front <laughs> and uh it, it made me it kind of again reminded me just how much i miss lucha underground yeah yeah that reason yeah it's it's yeah it, and lucha underground is a good example of like how to really take that essence of lucha and turn it into a weekly tv show you know the they had all the things you would have in a lucha show, but made it a progressive storytelling experience, and that was the important thing. With some very important matches um, down the line, there. Um, cheerleader Melissa, I can't remember her character, but her and Sexy Star having that death match was absolutely stunning. Yeah, Ma- Mary Pulsar, yeah. Yeah, Mary Pulsar, that was just on a level level and sexy star doesn't have matches like good <laughs> generally speaking she's a bit bland but that match she had was absolutely outstanding one of the best women's wrestling matches i've ever seen where and they were given a platform to do the things they needed to do to make that match work and it made her a star absolutely made her a star 
Um, so yeah. Anyhow, let's just get back to late and finish off this main event. Voodoo Murders successfully defended. Some would say, unfortunately. I, I, I yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> they defeated Bull Orchestra, Kazma Sakamoto, and Quiet Storm. It was a, the best match of this particular title run for the Sato brothers, who I'm pretty sure all Japan just let trees wrestle because that was about as mobile as those two are. Um, but Kazma Sakamoto and Quiet, Quiet Storm bounced for them all night and they made them look amazing. And it was an absolute thriller. And there was a big interview segment at the end, which we'll talk about afterwards, but the actual match itself, Sakamoto and Storm are just so good. And to make those two wumpy guys make well, make them all that good was just phenomenal. This is a match you have this is this is a match where wrestlers get made by other wrestlers. And it's a it's an actual kind of like textbook way of going about it. Sato and Sato look unstoppable as as a tag team and it's largely because of performances like this from Sakamoto and Storm, who uh, laid them up nicely for the next tag team along. And yeah, this was breathtakingly good. I really enjoyed this. Not in the sense of, I don't like enjoy watching the Sato brothers, but I enjoy watching Sakamoto and Quiet Storm do their thing. And they do it very, very well. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, you, you basically pulled the thoughts completely out of my head. This is definitely the... the uh... Ironically enough, even though they was they had the size advantage, which they didn't necessarily have uh, previously, um, this was the, the steepest mountain they had to climb in the rain. Like you said, this was the, the biggest test um, because they really had to, you know, the, of course, it's vocal orchestra. They're going to make you work for it, as they always do. Always, obviously, starting off the match with those orchestra tactics. And um, obviously, you know, the size, as it always does, comes into play for the Sato brothers. and. You know, you got to overcome that as you're working in the ring. But they, like you said, they did that beautifully. And you know why they didn't stack the win. And uh, we always sign about that. It, it does create, like you said, line them up for, you know, quite nicely for the next opponents, which at this point, I'm kind of just going to throw my hands up and just see who sits back and see who actually knocks them off eventually. Because <laughs> <laughs> to, to your point about, you know, talking about the uh, briefly going back to how you, you – you know, you analyze the, the booking of, of, you know, some of those uh, Mexican promotions. I'm kind of analyzing the the booking on, on what's going, you know, with the Satos because it's like I don't want this to become as them beat a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, probably two or three teams that probably should have knocked them off. And then when they finally drop them, it doesn't make, you know, nearly as much sense as the last four contenders, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. But it could be a thing of, they're <clears throat> so worn down or they get caught in a situation where, <clears throat> excuse me, like they, like we talked about earlier with like Tetsuya and you, where somebody kind of breaks them down on the submission side of things and they actually take them out. Maybe that's the key. Uh, but again, like you said, it, it just got me interested in seeing just like what combination they're going to allow to knock these guys off because right now, they have literally beaten the best. And to your point, it's not necessarily about the end ring. It's about the narrative around them. And, you know, orchestra really helped play into that, that they are, you know, really the best, biggest, and the best to, to have those titles. So, again, a disappointing night for me and you. But, you know, 
a quality story, we'll never, you know, we'll never shake our head at, you know. No, for sure. And seemingly the next tag team to step up to the plate was Samuel Watanabe, a new Yusuzuma who came to upend the Sato Brothers celebration. And in the post-match promo, received the blessing of Kazuma Sakamoto, uh, seemingly saying, well, if we can't get the job done, you go try, but make sure you bring those titles back to where they belong in Glate. So with that particular endorsement ringing in their ears, Watanabe and Susumu will be facing up against Rei and Yun Saito sooner rather than later. Have you any thoughts to them as challengers? That's it. Kind of just go sit back. I'm, I'm excited to see it. You know, at this point, maybe that's the, that's the draw. Like, just seeing who can find and knock these guys off, what combination they can put together. Like I said, I always appreciate the camaraderie. You know, that, that a lot of it that we've seen and, and glee across the board, you know, because I remember how fevery it was when uh, Black Generation was like the ultimate shadow looming over everything. It was bringing people together that you really just never thought would, would jail. Now it's, it's, you know, stuff like this. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Watanabe has been another one that we we consistently talk about it slowly but surely been creeping up the ranks and having these moments. So maybe maybe it's his time. You know, maybe it's one of these situations where you know uh, he gets the 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 tag go before the individual, which I feel like we've been long term calling for him for a while. You know, he he's been going back forth. He got so many names that have really been standing out on the individual level, which is great for a uh, promotion that is kind of almost kind of defined at this point by its faction so it's cool to see so the next late shows will be face uh so will be on the ooh, that's uh access to, to yeah 12 uh, looking at the actual well 24th at the made sky stellar hall that will be the um kazuma sakamoto 20th anniversary show then there's the late version 7 show on the 30th of December, and then Glate version 8 on the 21st of January at Edion Arena Osaka Second Stadium. They go back to Tokyo FM Hall on the 25th of January and Nagoya Diamond Hall on the 28th of January. And version 9 back at Edion Arena Osaka Second Stadium, which is where New Japan do a lot of their shows. So things going up in the world. They must be confident that they can beat them. Um, the next challenge is the Sato brothers against uh, Susumu and Watanabe will take place on the 30th of December. Um, so that show is going to be loaded because it has T-Hawk versus tomorrow on it as well. All the titles will be on the line. There was a show on Friday, which we will not get to this week um, because it's not up on YouTube yet. <laughs> so we can't watch it and talk about it. We'll get to it eventually. Um, but yeah. So that kind of covers us for Glate for the last couple of weeks. I would like to thank my guest, Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you for your time. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Always, uh, always my pleasure. Uh, gotta love Glate. Another, another uh, great double feature. You can find me on uh, that X app. <laughs> You know, uh, traversing those uh, horrible waters along with everybody else at Paradox Kid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always down the chat. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on TX on Instagram. Sheriff Lonestar on Mastodon. You can find the show, Troopany Show, on Twitter and on Instagram at 
Troopany Show. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, on Patreon, The Troopany Show. We keep Troopany Show free forever for everyone. And you can find us on Discord at Troopany Show Podcast. And now on YouTube as The Troopany Show. Um, go watch us on YouTube. I make these videos. And it'd be nice if someone went and watched them. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we're just listening to audio. That's that's us. We don't like this video malarkey. I thought I'd try it and see how it went. I'll keep trying. We'll see how it goes. Just add some more listeners, create some variety. You know, some people like sticking it on the phones. It's easy for them, and it means you can have like caps, closed captions, so you can you can see things as well. But there you go. There you go. We shall be back uh, next week. We haven't decided what we're talking about yet. We'll figure that out. In the meantime, I will be back with the Today Art series, which me and Marcus are going to do an edition of now, uh, concerning World Tag League from New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, which the great Ben Spindler of your Wrestling wrestling, re- sorry, wrestling Review podcast said, you're a madman, James. Maybe so, Ben, but, but really we do need to see trainees from <laughs> the Farley Dojo Wrestling in tag matches in front of 300 people in the middle of nowhere. That's what you need. That's wrestling. That's proper wrestling, that is. I'll live and die by that statement. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye.